Welcome to the Serial Serial, the AV Club's podcast about a podcast. Every week or so, a few Onion Inc. staffers will be talking about the most recent happenings around Serial, one of the most popular and addictive podcasts on iTunes. I'm AV Club Senior Editor Mara Eakin, joined this week by AV Club Managing Editor Laura Browning and Onion Video Producer Carl Blomberg. Hello. Hello. And this week we're talking about both episode three, Escaping, and episode four, The Captors, because we had a holiday break, and so we were doing that, and so, uh, yeah, New Year's. Fuck being on time, right? Exactly. Guys, episodes three and four, Escaping, Captors, what did you think? What did you like? What did you not like? I liked the questions where they'd say, like, how did you know, uh, how did you know where to find prostitutes? I was into that in the Captors episodes. That's my highlight of the two. <laughs> I liked um, hearing him talk about his escape attempts. Mm-hmm. Um, none of these episodes have been particularly riveting, <laughs> which I think is something we all agree on. Yeah. But I think him describing his two escape attempts that bookended uh, that first year for him was a highlight of the show. And then in, uh, in this episode... There was kind of less to, to hold on to. <laughs> the escape attempts were interesting in kind of a MacGyvery way, where it's like, oh, he has a, an 8-inch PVC pipe, a nail, uh, a AAA battery that he flattened out, uh, a piece of wood, a key that doesn't work for his locks. You know, like it was very like, how is he going to escape with what he has? Like that kind of stuff, which was kind of interesting. I yeah. did think that the the escape attempts were pretty interesting also from the perspective of like how – like if you're sitting in a dark box for 24 mm-hmm. hours a day, like would I have thought of flattening a battery? Like would I have thought of that? Or would I just yeah. be curled up in the fetal position? But then like what do you do? That's what they sort of talk right. about in the captors where it's like, ugh. It was, it's pretty bleak and depressing to say the least, obviously. I mean we knew it was, but then really hearing it spelled out is – it's rough. <laughs> I still, I don't know why I remember this story from college. Um, and I don't know who told us this, one of the professors or one of the old priests there maybe, that a graduate of my college had been um, a POW in the Vietnam War. Mm-hmm. And one of the things he did to keep himself from going crazy was he started at his freshman year of college, like mentally, and he went through every single class that he had ever taken in college mentally. And like that, he was, you know, in you know prison for mm-hmm. like three or four years or something and so he just like kept mentally trying to like relive and remember every class that he took throughout college i don't college. Even know if i could do that like i don't even remember I, you all. know i mean was, i guess was, i could maybe if i had all the time in the world but, but also this was the vietnam war so he was probably also 22 or 23 yeah, right or something yeah but um but that's how he kept his mind moving God. but yeah anyways good times <laughs> he had diarrhea for three and a half years woo <laughs> Um, Laura, you were saying before we started talking, though, that you're not like I feel bad for Bo. Like I feel like he obviously was in a real bad situation, and, and you probably agree with that. But you also said you don't necessarily like him all that much. I don't like him all that much. He um, after the first episode, I was just like, you know, I'm kind of done with this. He had this insane, ambitious idea that could have only sprung from the mind of of somebody whose brain is not yet fully formed Mm -hmm. like what an idiot yeah Um, and he even said you know at some point you know in hindsight well maybe I should have done it this way but I also like I don't know that much about the military I'm the first to admit but I also feel like your job in the military is to take orders it's going to suck like you're going Mm -hmm. to have 
terrible things happen and probably won't have a way of reporting them. And that, that, I mean, your job is to take orders. Your job is not to go and run off base just for the sake of calling attention to something. And that does kind of diminish the empathy I feel for him right now. I mean, obviously nobody deserves to. Yeah. And what is that something, right? Yeah. Speaking of, of empathy, uh, kind of this kind of brings up issues with how the show is structured. Sarah had mentioned, I think in episode one, that she would touch on the specifics of Bo's reasoning for leaving his base. And I think four episodes in, it seems kind of withholding at this point that we haven't seen any sort of examination on why Bo felt so compelled to leave the base. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, what were his his superiors doing that was so upsetting him that he pulled off or tried to pull off this dust one and do this decidedly dumb thing. Uh, And uh, I think the show would be more interesting if you got into his head a little bit more Mm -hmm. and could see or try to see what he says he saw uh, at his base. Sure. Like maybe there were issues of systemic abuse and rape and whatever. Maybe. Yeah. Hopefully it wasn't that he was bored. Right. He didn't didn't like cleaning the uh, the diarrhea bowl and decided I'm out of here. (laughs) Um. I think there probably is a limitation in that sense to the way the story is told and the way the episodes are framed. So, because we were saying, or, you know, we, whenever we talk about serial, and, and we've talked about this on the podcast and, and in our adverse, in our conversations, sort of what are, where are we going with this? What's the point of this one? Like episode one, or season one, we were ostensibly trying to figure out if this guy was guilty or not. Um, Bo was admittedly guilty of leaving. Right. <laughs> he, he said it from episode one. So we know that. So what's the goal of this? Uh, she said in episode one, we're going to talk about, we're going to bring up issues of patriotism and what it means to be a traitor and what it means to be an American and our army and our government. And that sort of has come up. Um, maybe we'll get back to that. Like maybe sh- when we learn about what these people did wrong uh, and we learn about what's going on now with Bo, like now they're trying him, I guess, or they're charging him at least. Maybe that'll come up then, but right now it feels sort of muddled. But that is maybe the victim of storytelling and the I, way she's trying I to frame it. I think that in the first episode or two, I sort of felt like Serial Season 2 was maybe more of a character study than mm-hmm. like this compelling murder mystery that was unraveling every week. Um, and now I'm not really convinced that even the serial producers know what it is because I think that in episode four uh, that uh, dropped today, it was a little bit like, you know, in the first episode she talks about that book Zoom where mm-hmm. you like zoom out and you keep seeing more and more and more. And I feel like she was trying to zoom out. We were trying to get a picture of like what it's like in this region. But this just did not feel like a very effective way of doing that. Like if, if you know, maybe I'm just a dumb American who isn't interested of yeah. about the world <laughs> outside of you know what revolves around me. Uh, which... I think we're still waiting for the for the big zoom out. Yeah, and we're still kind of zoomed in. Although we did, I will say, in fairness, I guess sort of that we were all waiting for that big that big like shoe drop in season one too, and that never came. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah. the, the final episode was like, and we don't know. Like which it was wasn't fine. like boom. It, was, it was honest. Yeah, I thought. it was honest. Yeah. Um. I wonder a little bit, and this is me being skeptical, naturally skeptical, if she got the offer of these tapes and was like, oh, shit, no one's had them. Like, we should do it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah like these tapes are going to be a big deal. And then... Well, from what I've read on the backstory was that they yeah. had a few ideas floating around and none of them were really clicking yet. And then this did come up 
mm-hmm. um, to, to partner with Mark Ball's production company, Production One. Page One, I think. Page, page one. one. Yeah, Page One. Um, and I, I think you're right. It was probably the the allure of access to these tapes of Bo talking that no one else had heard before. Um, and I think but I also part think of making a splash shapes the narrative. Like it takes the sort of uh, the narrative out of Sarah Koenig's totally. hands a little bit. So yeah. you know, it is interesting to hear you know Bo's interviews and to hear him talk. But he is determining the narrative. Definitely. And that's not that interesting. Well, him and Mark Bull. Him and Mark Bull. And I think, so season one is serial. I think part of the reason people loved it so much was because it felt like you were on this ride with Sarah Koenig, and she was figuring it out as she went along, and she established her trust, and it, it was you and Sarah, you know? It was the listener and Sarah. And now, even though it is interesting to hear Bo speak and him tell us his tale, uh, an interesting tale. And he's very um, candid. Like and he is he, very candid. He, he doesn't yeah. seem like he's hiding anything. I think it's clear he's not a traitor or anything like that. Um, I, I think Depending on how you define that word. That I guess. Try. Well, he, he's, he's not malicious. He wasn't yeah. acting with malice, I think. Maybe he deserted. Yeah, he maybe. wasn't really riding go-karts and playing soccer and eating down a puppy. And, no, no. Yeah. <laughs> but but he, he's not, like, working with the Taliban, it seems. Right. Yeah. Um, so, but, so this season, Sarah is relying on Mark Bull uh, and his interviews with Bo. And Mark has a decidedly different agenda in interviewing Bo for his movie than Sarah does trying to get to the bottom of whatever happened with, uh, with his situation. And on top of that, uh, I, I think you do have to mention that Mark Bo, Mark Bull uh, wrote Zero Dark Thirty, in which he relied on his sources at the CIA and other government sources and ended up implying in the movie that torture led to Osama bin Laden when... <clears throat> Um, it's 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 not the case, <laughs> and the Senate torture report said it didn't, and it's it's misleading. And now he's kind of the guy guiding the the good ship that is serial season two. Mm-hmm. Agree. Yep. It is a lot. I mean, I will say that one thing I talk about serial when I, or I've thought about when listening to the season is just how um, how much stuff is ru- is run by hearsay and people being dumb and uh, um, thoughts we have about other people and thoughts they have about us and sort of so, you know, the Afghan, the Taliban guys are beating up Bo and they're saying, uh, you're getting this because you're American, basically. Right. Uh, and you're going to get it, but what what you got at Guantanamo, we're just going to turn it back around on you. And it it is it is a big clusterfuck, I think, and that's sort of what we're going to get to, I guess. That's going to be the big ending, I think. But that's something we already knew. And maybe that's why season one was so compelling. It was because it was a story we didn't know. We hadn't heard this story. Also Everything like a was much new. smaller yeah. story. This is, I mean, what years of warfare in yeah. a region that most Americans aren't very familiar with. Uh, I mean, we have a lot of catching up to do just to be able to understand. Yeah, I'm totally not caught up. Like, I totally... Are they going to do an episode on how the Taliban came to be? Do you know what I mean? Like, there's... Yeah probably thousands of books written about that i don't and right. i don't know that well unfortunately i do like hearing some about the haqqani network yeah. and kind of diving into the taliban and who they are and their different alliances with the pakistani taliban and the pakistani military mm-hmm. and i think all that's kind of interesting and it made me think of I, whoever said it at the end of C, uh, episode two a major or a general uh speaking how 
you have all these U.S. troops rotating in and out, and there's no real continuity and no real um, kind of larger intelligence yeah. base that they have other than just their their day-to-day operations. And it, it kind of made me think whether or not they're even acting on uh, any intelligence they have about the Akani network and how they operate and things like that that might help them find bull. Oh. I liked the idea that they were like the Sopranos. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that was a good analogy. Yeah. And I, But I wanted to hear more about that. Right. Give me a whole podcast about these crazy Pakistani Haqqani guys. and their See, the things I found most interesting in this season of Serial so far are the, like, the descriptions of the camp and, like, you know, stirring the shit, literally, and, like, how desolate and how boring. Because I think you do have some sense of that. I know that's yeah. been talked about on previous Serial, serial episodes, but that sort of granular level I found helpful to understanding uh, the region more so than just, like, these... Yeah, painted the yeah. picture nicely. Yeah. I think that's one thing they do have the advantage or the, the ability to do with all this time and all these these episodes is to paint pictures in a deeper way than we understand, than Zero Dark Thirty could have done, for example. It's like, then we're like, oh, war is hell. It sucks to be out away from your family, blah, blah, blah. And you're like, oh, actually, that sounds real terrible. Like, right. going to Afghanistan isn't just being away from your family and having to sleep on bunks and mm-hmm. being scared of being getting killed sometimes. You know, it's also all of this other stuff that's also very terrible. Being a prisoner sounds horrible. <laughs> yes, it does. Yeah. Anyways... Speaking of horrible stuff, <laughs> um, the other hot thing that's been capturing a lot of serial fans' attention right now is Making a Murderer, which is a, season, uh, a Netflix 10-episode docuseries that Josh actually mentioned right at the end of last week's or last month's Serial Serial. Um, and it's about the wrongful conviction originally and then uh, second conviction, maybe wrongful, maybe not, who knows, of this guy named Stephen Avery from Wisconsin. Um, we could do a whole podcast about making a murderer and we the AV Club has written about it extensively and I encourage you to check it out on our TV section just google AV Club making a murderer um, but since we're talking about serial I thought it would be interesting to talk about the parallels between serial maybe season one mm-hmm. and making a murderer and why making a murderer like serial season one has become so much of a hot topic I think one thing that serial one did Serial season one did really well, um, and that I didn't expect from it at the beginning was it really revealed a lot of problems with our criminal justice mm-hmm. system. Um, and I I sort of came to peace with that at some point during Serial One, because at first I was like, I just want to know, like, who done it? Who done it? Yeah. And then it was like, no, it's actually about this kind of larger problem. And I think that that really blew up with uh, Making a Murderer in Stephen Avery's case. Um, Obviously, and this is not does not spoil anything for anybody who hasn't started making a murder, but it starts with the wrongful conviction and mm-hmm. a man who spent 18 years in prison for something he didn't do. Um, and I think that it's, you know, to borrow Sarah Koenig's analogy, this sort of zoom out of the criminal justice system. Um, mm-hmm. And I think those were kind of where the, the parallels are, is that this, like, well, it's not small to the people involved, obviously, but this one incident, this one sort of event just reveals so much about mm-hmm. all of the problems with so many different parts of our criminal justice system. Or about how we think about it as this machine, and really it's individual people doing individual jobs, and like all of us, they make mistakes, but how much more important those mistakes right. are, and how much more detrimental those mistakes are, whether that's... Uh, you're a policeman or you're a defense lawyer or you're whoever. Right. 
same thing that kind of happened in Serial 1, too, where you're like, was Adnan's lawyer a good lawyer? You know, that kind of thing. And and can we blame her for not being a good lawyer if she was having mental issues or, you know what right. I mean? Like, that mm-hmm. kind of stuff. It gets into a lot of shades of gray. Carl, your thoughts? Yeah, maybe that's the case with Len Kaczynski, uh, Brendan's lawyer, and mm-hmm. he just has mental problems. I don't know. That guy was fascinating. <laughs> I know. Uh, I would watch an entire show just watching his day to day what he does. There's a thing on TMZ. There was a thing on TMZ clients. yesterday where they're like talking to him again, and he still looks exactly the same. And he's still as eager to talk and as happy, and smiling, and happy and, to be on camera. Yeah. Even when he's like, "Yeah, I think I messed up the confession." <laughs> You're like, "You're an asshole." Yeah. Anyways. But, but with Making a Murder, uh, I think the themes are the same. Mm-hmm. It's an examination of the system. And I think what kind of separates the two is, you know, the, the role of the, the filmmaker or the, the radio producer in Sarah's case. And Sarah was very much in the middle of it. And Making a Murder is presented as this sort of raw documentary where the filmmakers don't have any... You never hear their voice. You never hear their voice. Mm-hmm. And they're only referred to, uh, from, from what I can recall, in the last episode when uh, Stephen's dad is in his garden and he offers one of them lettuce. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I love kohlrabi. They're delicious. (laughs) But he offers uh, whoever's holding the camera some lettuce. And until then, it's presented as sort of this just very straight, factual, uh, very raw-looking documentary. And I think that can be kind of misleading if you don't examine the role that, that these people are actually playing and the choices that they make because... Everything uh, from a filmmaking perspective is still a choice, and they're choosing to put this on screen versus not this on screen. And um, and I, I, I think it's clear that while this is a just brilliant, fascinating examination of the legal system, mm-hmm. in Wisconsin at least, uh, it, it's clear on screen and from what we know off screen that they do have an opinion about Stephen's innocence. And I think they're leaving out pieces of information like some of the things you pointed out in your articles after uh, making a murderer. Yeah. Like his, his call or uh, his calls to auto trader requesting that Teresa come and Teresa expressing to her boss how she was uncomfortable with him and things like that that were omitted from the show, I think mm-hmm. sort of uh, underlined that they did have an opinion and they got really close to the Avery's. Yeah. I mean, you could say that that's um – having had a lot of people contact me since writing those articles thinking that I'm advocating one way or the other um, for the for the veracity of those things. Um, uh, you could say that that's hearsay, and that is, because it's like, well, she allegedly said that to her boss, and now we're hearing it from her boss, and like, who knows if her boss is remembering that correctly, and mm-hmm. blah, blah, blah. Um, but yeah, th- by virtue of what they were doing, they were embedded with that family, and that defense basically because they couldn't get in with the prosecution for years for i don't know what i mean i guess now it would be like 10 years it's 10 years more a little bit more because if they were following him after he got out that would be more than 10 years um mm-hmm. so and they clearly cared about his mom and dad and they're sad they're pretty sad people and they have kind of a sad life so um yeah, you can I mean, fault them for that. You can't fault them in one way for not wanting to crush their friends. Totally, because they're probably their friends. They probably have mm-hmm. shared food and uh, hung out together for hundreds of hours. And then on the other hand, uh, 
you know, people used to go after Sarah Koenig for not being objective, but at least she wasn't, like, embedded with Adnan's family. Like, right. and she still didn't have to answer to Adnan that much because he was behind bars. Um, and so she could present, she could say, oh, Adnan says he didn't do it because of this. I'm going to find out whether that's true or not. You know, like, I'm going to go after that. Right. Um, the Making a Murder filmmakers don't really present a lot of alternative theories of the crime, and neither do the defense. The defense didn't really do it because they weren't allowed to. They yeah. kind of hinted at it. Um but I, I always really wanted that. That was one thing I really wanted in making a murderer was, okay, so the defense isn't allowed to do it. Are you allowed to do it? Are you allowed to say, what if it was his brother? What if it's the, if it's her brother? What if it's her uh, or her scorned boyfriend? Blah blah blah. I think that probably really hurt them that they couldn't present any alternative yeah. theories, and the jury was left with, okay, the police are corrupt. This. Yeah, seemingly but wild what? charge and you're, you're you do have to to make a big leap to uh to yeah. get on board with that theory versus that this guy just did it we're trying to be as cagey as I, i'm gonna say we're trying to be as cagey as we can kind of you'll, you might be able to figure it out but we're not really spoiling anything really i don't know yeah you can kind of surmise what's going to happen in making murder from episode one and the whole concept of the show um I, I just think it hurt the, the I'm going to call it a film, even though I know it's like a TV series or a web series or whatever we call Netflix shows. Um, Let's call it a film. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I think it just hurt the film as a concept. You know what I mean? Like, of course, like Adnan's defense suffered because of this. Uh, Stephen Avery's defense suffered because of this. But like as an objective filmmaker, they're not objective filmmakers. Mm, go ahead, Laura. I think it would have been... Um, interesting in some way to embed themselves and making a murder embed themselves even further with the defense because I think out of all of the parties in making a murder Mm -hmm. the defense was the one that was most interested in actually seeking the truth and actually finding out what happened I think everybody else involved it's just like well here's our little Stevie right (laughs) (laughs) the defense lawyers were so much fun to watch they were and I think that they probably examined things that weren't shown in the film but i think that they were the like the truth seekers in that uh you know out of all of the characters yeah yeah i don't know so making murder recommended you think serial fans should watch it i do i do too definitely a lot of good true crime stuff the last year year and a half what else what else i guess pretty much those three <laughs> <laughs> there's there's some other stuff i've recommended last last week on the podcast i recommended another podcast called criminal which i think is really interesting there's a bunch of um good true crime podcasts out there there's a bunch of you know discovery i guess i don't watch this but i've heard a lot of good things about investigation discovery which is a whole discovery sub channel that's well, just about uh, like murdery trial shit Murder trial shits. And, like, uh, (laughs) unsolved crime. You know, when I was little, I used to watch, like, unsolved mysteries all the time, and I love that shit. And so this is kind of just the same thing, but in a different format and not on syndicated television. You know what I want to see? Maybe for Serial Season 3 or maybe one of um, our listeners is interested in taking up this project. This was mentioned a little bit in Serial Season 1, but there was another client of Christina Gutierrez called the Whitman Family, Mm -hmm. and the... I might not have all of the details right, but I believe that the it was a family with two sons, and the older son was convicted of murdering the younger son. Mm-hmm. It was extremely brutal. And I think that it was around the time that Christina Gutierrez was starting to sort of um, suffer some more effects of, I think, her multiple sclerosis and maybe yeah. some other mental health issues. And there were a lot of issues around that trial about... Um, 
how Gutierrez handled it. And there's, I think, the, if you Google the Whitman Project, yeah. I think it's W-I-T-M-A-N. Um, there's been a couple little short films about it. Um, and it's fascinating. And I think that it would have the same draws both Making a Murderer and Serial One and that it focuses on like a very specific family that's still sort of connected. Yeah, and, and it's, it's like... But it you, also, I think, would reveal a lot about the criminal justice system. Yeah, God. Do you believe one brother or the other? You know, I The mean, family does not. They... Um, they don't think he did it? They don't think he did it. They go to visit him in jail every weekend. Hmm. Um, it's a, I mean, I it's a really sad, sad story. Uh, but the, it's sort of the same thing as all of these other stories where there's just like these things missing, but were they able to use that in the defense? Yeah. And just like all these things don't add up, but I think maybe they had reasonable doubt. It's fun getting into the weeds of cases like that. And maybe that's something that's missing from serial season two is that there's like the, the whodunit type shows yeah. are, are fun because. You think about evidence and, well, this is there. And, and that brings blah, blah, up another blah. issue, though. Is it weird that it's fun when... Yes, it is. <laughs> we're, I mean, you know, it's a blast. Teresa Halbeck was murdered. Yeah. Yeah. And her family is probably suffering a lot right now watching this happen. Yeah. It's like, and watching people say, he didn't do it. Right. And they obviously believe... And making he that, did, and the Hallback brother look really bad. He comes off as yeah, right. And there's you know, it was weird that on day three he's like, "We just hope that we find her body." It's like you don't think she's still alive? Anyways, go on. Yeah, no, <laughs> that, that's my my point was that he does not come off well. He works and, for the uh, Green Bay Packers. He does, oh, really. Yeah, fun huh. fact. But I feel really bad for the Hallback family right now because yeah. because of the way mm-hmm. that Making a Murderer was was filmed and you know there's like a whole I'm sure there's like a subreddit on why Mike Mike Hallberg or Mike Hallback yeah. did it and it's like well there's a reddit about Making a Murderer there was a subreddit about that and I'm sure and you know anonymous said that they were getting right. involved and they were supposed to release <laughs> their information like over the Christmas break and then oh, I was talking to my brother about it and he was like well they can't have that much information if they haven't released it blah 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 blah, blah. my brother's like Mr. Dark Internet so um <laughs> I don't know I mean it could be good that they are involved but they could also be giant assholes and like dox the shit out of the prosecutor and their Twitter accounts I was following their little scary the anonymous ones yeah yeah fair enough (laughs) i mean you're like maybe there's some information out there and they can get him a new trial and that would be good if he had a new trial like a fair trial but like then then you get into this whole thing where you're like do fair trials exist like this whole (laughs) like this whole existential bullshit it's uh, you need uh what is it the et what's the the stuff and the blood samples that they use to preserve oh it's like edit or edta edta there you go yeah yeah, I call. I'm calling for an EDTA test of that blood right now. <laughs> yeah. um, okay, so you have to pick serial season one or making a murderer. Which one do you like better, or which one would you recommend stronger and more strongly? How well, I, I think that? that that's a little bit of an unfair question because on the one of hand, it's unfair. <laughs> uh, making a murderer because it's visual. Yeah does have a lot more impact in that way but i'm gonna pick uh serial one or mm-hmm. season serial season just one, serial one um just because i feel like that story was um although it is heartbreaking for all of the families involved obviously it is so much more specific um and i feel like making a murderer i mean i just felt hopeless and hopeless and despair the entire time mm-hmm. i was watching it because you think well you know 
they kind of fucked up Brendan Dassey's life already. Yeah. And he's been in prison for 10 years. And you just think, like, there's just no hope for this family, but maybe everybody getting angry about it can, like, make some small change to something that this won't happen again. But I feel like with with Adnan and, and Heyman Lee, like, there is actually a little bit more hope in that sort of very specific set of circumstances that... That's true. Um, maybe it's just... Although, That's do you the, feel bad for Heyman Lee's family? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Right. They didn't ask for this all no. to be dragged up. Um, and, and somehow they're public record now, like all their information. Right. You know? um, but so I'm, I'm going to, my vote is for Serial Season 1, just because it's um, a little bit more specific of the story and a little less hopeless in some way. Maybe it almost works better for Making a Murderer to be so hopeless, like for the as a filmmaker like I'm not a filmmaker but if you're a filmmaker because you're like isn't this the worst do you know what I mean Mm -hmm. where it just seems so bleak it was the worst and (laughs) I'm a pretty accomplished uh, TV binge watcher and I had to take breaks between episodes which I never have to do but I was just like I have to get outside and take a walk yeah I almost stopped watching after like the Brendan Dassey stuff because I was like that was the roughest stuff (laughs) Um, I would recommend Making a Murderer I was equally immersed and entertained by both shows, but I think the behind the production. Uh, well, you also make videos, and I make videos, so <laughs> I'm biased. But uh, I think it's it's very fascinating the story behind these the two primary filmmakers by making a murderer. How they were in New York doing their day jobs. They read about Stephen Avery getting out of prison in 2003, I think mm-hmm. it was, and they just went to Manitowoc County. And they just became more and more immersed in it and lived there for two years. And they, the footage they got, they were there for just so many huge moments, whether at hearings and trials or uh, when the one lawyer, I forget which one he was, Jerry. uh, Jerry Buting. Yeah, Jerry Buting, uh, who I loved. Flores. Oh, you guys both are Dean Jerry. And Team Buting. is there does it have to be strength? Jerry versus uh, Dean? <laughs> yeah, well, which one do you of. think is cuter? That's really the internet's question. Dean's right now. cuter, uh, <laughs> but Jerry's got something to him. I can't put my finger. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, when, when when they were with Jerry, when he found the tampered blood sample evidence, but um, yeah, make, making a murderer, uh, it's clear like they weren't like the most. They were not like the best, uh, yeah. you know, cinematographers and everything, but they were like, they were there and uh, it was just like good for them. Um, and uh, yeah, yeah, I ho- hope they do other stuff like this. It is interesting <laughs> to me uh, that, you know, so many of these cases have, you know, received so much attention, obviously. Um, but I wonder, I wonder if this is the next step in, in you know, filmmaking and, and television that people, you know, write into all of these producers and try to get their yes. story told in hopes that, you know, that's that's the next Innocence Project is getting some filmmakers to take up your cause. I think that Sarah Koenig, I think if you talk to Sarah Koenig, probably after Serial started happening, they probably got so many thousands of people. Yeah. But, the, but I mean, Making a Murderer probably got picked up by Netflix because of Serial. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and so many of these other true crime things that are happening now, there are a bunch more shows and stuff that exist like this, and it's because of Serial and because people got so into that one thing. 
And because people are so into making a murderer, they're probably, it'll probably keep going. And, you know, so maybe some more people get exonerated. It man, says weird things for us you... that we're so into, <laughs> uh, oh, man, that was a brutal rape and murder. You know what I mean? Like that kind of shit. But, uh, yeah. Well, and if you Google, if you just Google the word exonerated, like yeah. speaking of hopelessness and helplessness, like it's a long list. Like, of people that have been? Yeah. That, yeah. like, there's, it It does not, uh, does not give you a lot of faith. Well, I think what both shows have done is if you thought the, the criminal justice system was this pure thing that works, um, it's, it's certainly not. It's but some up. people do. Some people come away from both those shows being like, that's bullshit. The police are gods and geniuses and right. prosecutors do, you know. I think it's also kind of hard to grapple with the fact that Stephen Avery is legally guilty, mm-hmm. but might not be actually guilty, and and sort of you have to learn to erase the line between like yeah, like once he got exonerated, right? You're like, well, he was still yeah. But I mean, well, even now, like right now, he's legally guilty of killing mm-hmm. Teresa Hallback, and like that's what matters. But yeah. maybe he's not actually guilty, and so where's that line between like legality and actuality? And that's I think what for most of us, you grow up thinking that that's the same thing, mm-hmm. and actually it's not. And well, then there's also that. Go ahead. No, that's just hard to sort of, like, erase that line a little bit in your mind. There's also the line in your mind where you're like, no, but he says he's not. Like, right. and same thing with Adnan, uh-huh. where you're like, but I believe him. He seems truthful. Right. You know what I mean? And then you're like, but if they're lying, like, what does that mean about me? And what does that mean about the way I understand people and the way under and people can – the way – liars can tell the truth you know can well imagine making a murderer told from the perspective of the Hallback family yeah I mean we could have watched the exact same uh case from that family's perspective and we could all be you know stone Stephen Avery yeah um I think you know the the filmmakers obviously they had their perspective yeah they they forced us to have a lot more but they they had some they plenty of uh, evidence supporting their perspective. I mean, maybe to, to speak of um, objectivity, more people came away from uh, serial season one, serial one, uh, being like, I think Adnan maybe did it. Mm-hmm. Like everyone kind of maybe thinks, or a lot of people, a lot of people really don't think Stephen Avery did it. Right. A lot of people do, but have reasonable doubt. That's where I lie on both, on both Adnan and Stephen Avery, I'd say, like, I don't, like, I think they probably did it. Yeah. But, like, I don't know if I was on that jury, if I could have been, like, hang them high. You know what I mean? Even if Stephen Avery did do it, the prosecution's case, I mean, what was it based on? The blood in the car, that's it, right? I am not 100% convinced that Stephen Avery didn't do it, but I am definitely 100% convinced that the investigation and trial were not fair. And it didn't happen the way they said it did, at the very least. Right. Yeah. Good times, guys. (laughs) So anyways, if you haven't watched Making a Murder, we've totally ruined it for you. Not really. You should still watch it. Um, And we'll be back next week talking about Bo Bergdahl some more, because maybe we'll get some hot information next week when we find out what the U.S. government was doing to help him out. Speaking of Shades of Grey and uh, of weird legislation and back alley deals and stuff. So thanks so much for everyone listening to Serial Serial. Thanks, Laura and Carl. And uh, if you like our show, tell your friends and review the show on iTunes. And we'll be back next week. Bye. Bye. Bye.